Before we get this week's PKD Black Box jumping off, I just wanted to uh, give out a quick reminder that the Action Lab Entertainment Kickstarter project that I'm a part of is still taking donations. We're trying to raise $3,600 to print, publish, and solicit the first issue of our new comic book series called Fracture, which will debut next year. The uh, We have about, as of this recording, 37 days to go to raise $3,600. At this time, we've raised $1,466, so we're doing pretty good, but we still need your help. Uh, donations start as low as $1, and if you donate $10 or more, you can receive rewards such as um, original art, um, Action Lab buttons, um, your name in the acknowledgement section of Fracture, um, paintings, sketches, you name it. So if you go to kickstarter.com and in the search header type action lab or fracture you can find out more about the project and there's even a nice little video that breaks it down for you too so to those that have donated i say thank you and to those that have not donated yet but plan to i say thank you in advance and like i said before any type of donation helps and we more than appreciate it and we more than thank you for your support the pkd black box is a proud member of the comics podcast network this is the pkd black box episode 41 Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barack O'Comics. This week's episode, we return to the Kung Fu Explosion. Yes, the Kung Fu Explosion returns. Last year, we did our first uh, Kung Fu Explosion episode where we talked about some of our favorite Kung Fu and martial arts movies with Johnny M. and Jim Dietz of the Legion of Dudes. And this time, Johnny M. returns, and we've got a new special guest, uh, DC artist Dave Beatty, along for the ride this time as we talk about some of our favorite kung fu or some more of our favorite kung fu and martial arts movies so you know what you know i'm just going to get all this out the way we're just going to go and get straight to the episode plenty of movies to talk about i hope you really enjoy this week's show and i hope you've also been enjoying the the start of donnie salvo's tales from the attic with the christmas craptacular uh be on the lookout for our episode the day after this episode airs so it's, we're going to do that for four weeks. So you will get four episodes of Tales of the Attic for the month of December. And don't worry, there's another PKD Black Box coming up later on this month as well. So enjoy, and I hope you dig this episode. joined on tonight's show by fellow podcaster, a good bud, and kung fu and Blu-ray disc enthusiast, Johnny M. from the Legion of Dudes podcast. John, how you doing? Great. How are you tonight? Uh, doing fantastic. I cannot complain. We get, we get to talk martial arts and kung fu movies. Yes. So, good to be back. Yes, and we're glad to have you back. Also on the call is... Uh, artist Dave Beatty. Um, you may know Dave Beatty from his work on Brightest Day and also uh, his work on various covers for Adventure Comics. Uh, did I get that right? Is it Adventure Comics? 
Yes. Ah, fantastic. All right. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. I'm, I'm a fan of the show and, and happy to be here. After we had originally posted the very first Kung Fu Explosion episode back in 2009, Dave had a place to comment on our PKD Black Box uh, podcast uh, section about how much he enjoyed the episode. And he said, if you ever do it again, let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to, to join, uh, join in on the conversation. So I was like, oh, cool. This is awesome. So we, I was like, we actually have listeners, <laughs> first and foremost, <laughs> which uh, got me excited. And the fact that uh, somebody wanted to also chime in was really, um, really, really cool. So really glad to have both of you on. Before we get to the meat of uh, tonight's program, John, the Half Hour Wasted slash Legion of Dudes podcast network has added... Uh, yet some more podcasts to the ever-growing uh, network of uh, shows. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's in store for the uh, HHWLOD family? Yes, thanks. Over at HHWLOD.com, we have two spinoff shows right now. Besides the regular Legion of Dudes show and the Half Hour Wasted show, we have started Speak of the Devil, which is an all-daredevil podcast. We started it before the whole Shadowland thing was announced. So what's happened in the meantime is there's this whole Daredevil event which gives us like lots of material to cover. So if you're a fan of Daredevil, we cover the old classic stuff. Uh, we do issues from the current run, you know, the Kevin Smith, the Bendis, the Brew Baker, all the way up to the Andy Diggle and Anthony Johnston stuff that's coming out now. We're covering Shadowland and all the crossovers. So if that's something that's of interest to you, check out hhwlod.com for speak of the devil and very quickly the walking dead tv podcast we're really excited about that amc walking dead show uh walking dead tv.com or again hhwlod.com if that interests you congrats on adding more shows to that network you guys got more shows than nbc right now so um no that's crazy (laughs) we're like hydra we cut off one show and two more spring up there you go. <laughs> you see, you need a Hydra logo now. Yeah. Uh, um, now, Dave, you're currently working on, on Brightest Day. It's a bi-weekly series by DC Comics. Can you tell us um, what is it that you're working on within the uh, Brightest within the brightest Day comic? Um, I'm working with uh, Scott Clark and uh, Jeff Johns as the writer for the portion that I'm working on, and we're doing the uh, all the Firestorm stuff. Very cool. Now, that's the uh, Jason, Jason Rush and uh, Ronnie Raymond Firestorm, right? Correct. I still am a, a very big uh, Jason Rush fan, and after what happened in um, in Blackest Night, I kind of got worried for a while that he was just going to be knocked out of the picture. And then I remember watching an episode of, the, of uh, Batman: Brave and the Bold where they had Ronnie Raymond a, as a, a gym as a gym teacher and a teenage Jason, Jason Rush, and they became Firestorm. And that kind of made me happy because I had the best of both worlds. I had the childhood fire, uh, Firestorm I grew up with, and then I had the new Firestorm, which I really, really love, put together. And the fact that they put both of these characters together, um, it, it's satisfying for me because I think it's something that both new readers and old readers should hopefully be satisfied with. Now, as far as anything anything else though, that you can talk about that might be going on with you in the future, or because if you got a non-disclosure agreement, I more than understand. Scott and I have also been doing covers for Adventure Comics, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. There's a, a really cool one coming up that we just finished. Uh, I can't really describe what it is, but it, it'll be, you know, released pretty soon. Um, but uh, yeah, we've just been doing a lot of work for DC, 
And the uh, the other thing that was cool for me is, uh, you know, I grew up, um, there used to be a 7-Eleven around the corner from the ha- my house where I used to live. I used to cut lawns to make extra money, and I'd go up to the 7-Eleven and I'd buy my comics off the spinner rack. And one of the few comic books they always had stocked in the spinner rack was Fury of Firestorm. <laughs> so um, I was, I'm like a big uh, Ronnie Raymond fan and loved uh, that particular version of Firestorm because that's the one that I grew up with. That was the one that was in, you know, the, what it was at the... The superpower show, yes, and uh, so I loved all that stuff. And uh, I have a Firestorm action figure of Ronnie Raymond that sits out all the time, anyway. And uh, so when we got this opportunity, it was just really great. And uh, I remember the the first emails we got about it were really kind of cryptic because it was like they were offering us this book. It was part of a big package thing. Scott and I couldn't wrap our heads around all these different art teams that were going to be on it. it. Didn't make any sense. And they were saying that we were going to be working on a character that was going to be coming back from the dead. And so since Batman had just died for, you know, like a couple of nights, Scott and I were discussing what we would do with Batman. (laughs) It's got to be Batman, right? Who else could it be? So when it turned out to be Firestorm, I was completely just freaking out because I've always loved Firestorm. And I was not too familiar with the Jason Rush version just because I hadn't been, I just didn't read Firestorm during that period of time. It wasn't that I didn't like Jason Rush, it's just I just wasn't reading a lot of mainstream comics at the time. Over the course of working on this book, I have an extreme appreciation for Jason Rush. I think both of them together as Firestorm, regardless of who's in the driver's seat. But I, I like both of the personas of Firestorm. I think they're both really great. Deadlines are kind of rough sometimes. That's the only part of this that's been a little tough. But other than that, I've been really fortunate and uh, just uh, loving working on the book. And I'm excited to be on the show tonight. Tell you what. Let's go ahead and get started. I've been dying to talk about some more martial arts movies for over a year. We're going to uh, start it off with Dave. Tell you what, why don't you tell us uh, one of your favorite uh, martial arts or uh, kung fu movies? My absolute total favorite martial arts movie is uh, Enter the Dragon, which was covered pretty heavily on the last one. Um, <laughs> so when I went through picking out my list, I tried to pick films that, that weren't really heavily discussed. One of the best martial arts films ever, in my opinion, is the remake of the Chinese Connection, Fist of Legend, with Jet Li. Yes. Ugh. See, I had that. That was like number seven on my list. Uh, yeah, that one is now officially marked off. Now, John, have you ever seen Fist of Legend? Oh, yes. And um, I, I will mention that it just recently had its Blu-ray release. Uh, a lot of the Dragon Dynasty line are coming out on Blu-ray now. So if anybody's interested in Fist of Legend, uh, it's out there for like relatively cheap in uh, 1080p, which is awesome. This is why I, when I talk about kung fu movies, I love having John on the show because this man knows when any Blu-ray comes out. <laughs> but um, but disease. <laughs> but no, uh, Dave, um, if you could go ahead, please feel free to elaborate um, some more on uh, Fist of Legend. Well, the thing that was really cool about Fist of Legend is I have a pretty extensive martial arts background. I started studying martial arts when I was 14 years old. Um, if you look at pictures of me, I don't seem like I would be that intimidating. Um, but in my in my my youth or my younger years, I was I was uh, uh, pretty pretty ferocious about my martial arts and and a training fanatic. And uh, I had not seen this film, and it was making the rounds basically in the dojo. And uh, 
So as a bunch of us got together and watched the movie, and I was absolutely astounded um, with, among other things, the actual absolute, I guess you could say, martial arts technical brilliance with how everything was choreographed. It is an unbelievably fantastic movie uh, with a lot of the really old school uh, Aikijutsu techniques, um, how the martial arts are really reflected properly for the historic setting. Because in Chinese Connection, it's a great movie, but the thing that makes it kind of odd is that the Japanese all use judo, and that's their base fighting style. And actually, for the time period, it would have been more of an Aiki Jiu-Jitsu base. And so and the, thing, the thing that's really great about Fist of Legend is even from a martial arts standpoint, it's unbelievably accurate and uh, unbelievably brutal when Jet Li uses her own martial arts against them at times and starts, you know, pulling joints out of lock and everything else when they discover that, that uh, he's Chinese and he's sitting in the classroom and all the students run in to run him out. And uh, that scene was absolutely mind-blowing to see in a film all these techniques that I had been learning in very fluid and, and uh, amazingly choreographed uh, scenes. So, yeah. and, and cinematically well put together as well. Um, as far as like the way and sort of like certain shots and certain angles. Now, it's been probably about six years since I last watched this movie, but I just remember there being a fight. I want to say it's like kind of out in an open, like open field. And like before the fight starts, and, you see, and you've seen this in like a lot of martial arts films, before the fight starts, you see, you know, your protagonist and antagonist each on their uh, respective side of the, um, of the screen. And you just have this like vast, you know, fast field in the background. But the way this one was shot, one, I could feel that tension about, about to jump off. And also, it's kind of like, even though there's music playing, you can feel the silence and you can like, you can, you can feel them breathing, you know, right before they're about to throw down. Granted, you don't hear that, but you can just feel it because the way the director put it together, it just is just real intense and just very fluid. It's stuff like that I always um, remember, most in the fi- remember most in the film. And for me, that's what makes a, um, you know, a good director, you know, even better or even or great when especially when it comes to martial arts films because as much as like I love the um, standard stereotypical every five minutes there's a fight martial art films of the 70s there's something about Fist of Legend that you know transcends all of that and it's not only just a martial arts film it honestly in, in a remake but it sincerely tells a story uh, from, being, from beginning to end it's not just a martial arts film it's a drama within itself too just to uh, continue on what Dave was saying about movies being like technically correct i think that's something that went away for a long time um and it seems to be back now you know all of these martial arts styles that nobody ever heard of that now are in the forefront because of mma and stuff like that uh you know you're really getting a good look at them whether it be like the thailand movies you know like the yang bok stuff with the uh with the muay thai and and now there's movies coming out of indonesia that are showing salat and it's really interesting to see the different styles, and that was definitely like way ahead of its time in, uh, in Fist of Legend. Yeah, there, there is a, a really interesting story at play, too, and, and there's a lot of, a lot of really great dramatic moment. It, it's, it's a very engrossing film. It really sucks you in, so by the time that you get to the big climactic battle at the end, you're, you're totally wrapped up in, in what's happening, and um, it really heightens the, the tension of the battle because you're wondering, it's like, is it going to be able to beat the guy or not? It's just, like I said, it's... Uh, um, on my list of favorite martial arts movies, it's number two, but for the purpose of this conversation, it gets to be number one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that was the second 
Jet Li movie I had ever watched, ever. The first being, uh, was it Black Mask? I want to say it was Black Mask. I saw Black Mask first, and then I went searching on eBay for Jet Li movies, and a friend of mine had told me that, um, he told me to watch Fist of Legend, because he said it was a, Bruce, a, Bruce, a remake of a Bruce Lee film, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, that'd be awesome. So, because of Sony and Buena Vista, um, also brought some ported some Jet Li movies from overseas over to the states, and they re-edited re-edited uh, them and uh, made them their own and changed the titles. And I think Fist of Legend was brought over that way too. And I didn't want to watch that version because I knew they cut stuff out. So I got the original version, and 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 ever since then I was a big fan. And you know I I can let Lethal Weapon Four slide because I know that's not real because there's no way Riggs and Murtaugh beat. Jet Li. Sorry. It's just, it's, it's just not going to happen. But, um, yes, that movie is uh, just fantastic. Murtaugh beat a predator. Yeah, but see, at least that's a younger Murtaugh, though. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a younger Murtaugh. I can, I, can, I can let that pass. But we're talking about an older Murtaugh <laughs> tried to, and, and, and an older Riggs sans mullet. Um, because when he had his mullet, he was powerful. Uh, defeating Jet Li. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I, I really don't, but I just let it slide. John, we're going we're gonna to kick it to you. What you got for us? Well, I went back and I listened to the first Kung Fu explosion to try to avoid repeats and, and maybe some things that we missed. And I found that I was just about to start on Donnie Yen when we kind of had to wrap things up. So I'm going to open up with IP Man 1 and 2. IP Man, it's kind of strange. It's one of those titles that I, I don't think translates correctly, but IP Man... And that's how it's said uh, in English. Anyway, he's the grandmaster of the Wing Chun Kung Fu school in China, and it's it's based on true events. He is the he is credited to being the teacher of Bruce Lee, hmm. uh, and it's set in the I don't know 1940s 1950s in. China. Um, I'm sure the history people are screaming at the uh, at their iPods right now. But this is the time where the Japanese were occupying China. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all this tension and everything. And he runs this Chinese kung fu school. And there's the Japanese saying that their schools are better. It's an excellent movie. It's one of my favorite movies in the martial arts realm uh, of all time. Now, it's the best Donnie Yen movie in my opinion. And it's, the fights are unbelievable. The story is great. And it carries on to IP Man 2. Now, IP Man 1 is, is available in the United States. A company called WellGo put it out on DVD and Blu-ray. So you can get IP Man 1. IP Man 2 is only out overseas right now. I'm sure it'll make its way here. It's Donnie Yen again, but this time they add Sammo Hung into the mix. And there is, I'm not going to spoil the movie. Two is a little bit hokier than one, but still the fights are unbelievable. And there's a scene where all of the Kung Fu school masters are gathered together and they're kind of giving IP man his initiation to be like allowed to have a school open. Uh, And 
they one by one take him on, and it's kind of like a strange, like Mad Max Thunderdome situation. They have to fight on a table, and if you get knocked off the table, you lose. So, so Donnie Yen beats like three or four masters and, you know, knocks them off this table. And finally, Sammo Hung says enough. And he jumps up on the table and they have an unbelievable fight. I mean, the table is wobbling. You know, they're backbending to keep their balance. And, you know, there's wire fighting involved and stuff. But what a fantastic scene and a total geek out if you're a martial arts fan and you have Sammo Hung fighting Donnie Yen. So I definitely recommend IP Man 1 and 2. Two right now, you'd have to search out on eBay, probably pay like 30, 40 bucks for it. I would wait. It's going to hit the United States, you know, relatively soon. So you liked IP Man and IP Man 2 more than Iron Monkey? <laughs> I liked IP Man 1 as much as Iron Monkey. Okay, okay. So, yeah, two might be a little, like I said, it gets a little bit hokey too, but it's still so fantastic. Cool. No, and I, I I feel you on that. No, I, I can agree. I can agree with you on that 100. percent I just wanted to make sure because I haven't seen IP Man or IP or IP Man Two, you know, because you done brought something new to the table. I, like for me, the standard for Donnie Yen is Iron Monkey, and I'm sure that there are you know even probably even greater films of his than Iron Monkey. That's the first movie I ever saw that had Donnie Yen. Then I remember when I saw him in Blade Two, I was uh, with a friend. I saw Blade Two. And I said, that's Donnie Yen. What's he doing in this movie? I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, one of my, you know, you know, this new martial artist that, like, I've only seen, like, once or twice is in this really kick-ass movie. And he dies. And I was so pissed. I'm like, that's Donnie Yen. How you gonna get rid of Iron Monkey this soon in the Blade? Uh, in the Blade 2, I was so pissed off. Because, like, he had, like, the, uh, that big, like, hammer. I think he, was he the one that was carrying the hammer? The sledgehammer in Blade? I, Blade 2, I cannot remember for the life of me. Yeah, I got to go back and watch Blade 2 again now that you mention it. But come to find out, he was one of the action choreographers for that movie. Had no idea. Wow. I did not know. I just thought they just put him in the movie, you know, to like Wesley Snipes was like, hey, you're Donnie Yen. You need to get in on this. No, he was uh, one of the choreographers. So uh, no wonder that movie came out so smooth. Not There's that- a lot of good Donnie Yen stuff that uh, hasn't seen the light of day over here but I think it's going I think it's going to start now that there's been this huge MMA and, and martial arts explosion uh, Flashpoint is another great one if you ever are searching around and, and you can get your hands on that one another great Donnie Yen flick take you to a film starring uh, one of my favorite martial artists of all time uh, Gordon Liu. It was uh, directed by Gordon Liu. Actually, I'm sorry. I take that back. Um, It was um, directed by well, actually, yeah, Gordon Liu. Liu Chia Hui. That's his real name. It's called Shaolin and Wu-Tang. For hip-hop heads, this is uh, this film inspired the the name of the rap group Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, who used about seven or eight different audio samples from the film in their 1993 debut album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. 1993, this album, as of this recording, is 17 years old. That makes me feel old now. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, whole, like, the whole summary of the story is this. 
Master Lee and Master Law are rival masters of Shaolin style Kung Fu and Wu Dang style sword fighting, running schools in the same city. Top students, Chao Feng Wu, played by Adam Chang, and Hung Yun Kit, played by Gordon Liu, are actually close, close friends with uh, Jun Kit's sister, Yang Ling, um, having a crush on Wang Fu. So after observing the two students fighting at a brothel, uh, two of the local uh, Qing lords, um, let's see, uh, I think one was played by Wang Lung Wei, if I remember right, uh, soldiers report the power, they report the power of the styles to, to, uh, to the Qing lord. Qing, King lord, I can never say that correctly. Uh, the lord determines that the two styles are dangerous and he must learn both styles. Um, so yeah, the Qing lord wants to learn both styles and then the Qing lord poisons Master Law and, <laughs> and um, he has Yan Ling killed. And so now the King Lord is able to learn both the Wu Dang uh, Eight Divine Sword Style and, and the Shaolin Chin Kang Fist from a Spy. So now Feng Wu and Yun Kit both return to their, return to their respective temples for training as a priest and monk, respectively. Uh, Jun Kit hopes to revenge his sister's death, and Feng Wu also wants to avenge his, mas his master's death. This film has so many cool fight scenes. I'll be the first to admit, the first 10 times I watched this movie, I paid no attention to the story. I paid no attention to the plot. I just watched the fights, and I just smiled. This film, I think, may now be available on Blu-ray now. Uh, John, can you, can you give me a check on that? I have not seen it, but I will certainly check that out now. But I, uh, I've never heard of that one coming out. Okay. Um, once again... Final fight, like with me, with, more, with a lot of martial arts films, it all comes down to the final fight. And uh, this film has a, has a fantastic final fight. I have a, um, well, which I thought was a legit copy, which I bought off of eBay, come to find out it was a bootleg of uh, Shaolin and Wu-Tang. Um, I've literally watched it till I couldn't, until literally I couldn't play the, di the disc anymore because it got a crack in it. This was my very first Gordon, Gordon Liu film, if memory serves me right, to which then... I got to watch uh, Return to the, to the 36 Chambers, the film that a lot of people say made Gordon Liu famous. I'm a big Adam Chang fan as well. You can't really go wrong with uh, these two gentlemen together in the film. I, I just love it. I'm not sure if um, any of you gentlemen have seen it, but if you have, please chime in. Uh, unfortunately, I have not seen that. Um, most of the, uh, I think most of the older Kung Fu movies I saw was when I was a kid. Um, you know, when they would do like Kung Fu Theater, mm -hmm. which was something that was talked about on the last one, last uh, episode of the Kung Fu Explosion. And I, um, matter of fact, uh, what was, there was one film you were talking about where it was uh, kind of like a mismatched team and it was the guy with the short axe. Ah, uh, the kid with the golden arm. Yeah, it was weird because I've always wa wanted to see that movie again because I remembered it from when I was a child. And I had no idea what the name of the movie was. So after you said that, I went out and got it. And, and uh, a lot of these films, um, when people describe the story, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. But this one I don't remember seeing. Mm -hmm. That's really the beauty of these movies, isn't it? I mean, if you, if you catch one with a good story, you know, that's like a classic. But all the other ones, there's something you can pull out of them in the action or the choreography you know, even the, some of the goofy stuff that goes on, there's always something to enjoy. I mean, that's why I love them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And it's kind of a shame that through the 70s and, like, the early, early, early 80s, I want to say 81, 82, you know, we had martial arts films in the movie theaters, um, you know, because you know, we had more, like, grindhouse-type theaters, and, like, not every movie theater was a national chain, so a lot of them were local. 
So, you know, you had like um, World Northrall Corporation porting in martial arts movies from, from overseas. You had Shaw Brothers bringing stuff over. And you, so you were able to see these movies in a movie theater and just like get that overall scope and feel and just like either the largeness or like the epic feel of like the battle. And we were all resorted, I say around, around 1982-83 we were all resorted to watching these films strictly on television i really wish a lot of people could like really capture that feel and understand how how massive these movies were um at a movie theater it's it's one thing to watch a movie like king boxer at home and it's another thing to watch that movie in the movie theater it's just two entirely different things it's like like with Aaron the Dragon. It's one thing to watch that in a movie theater, and it's another thing to watch it at home. I love watching that movie, but at on a big movie on a big movie screen, a big theater screen, there's nothing more sinister and more kick-ass than Bruce Lee taking on about 200 people in the basement of a of a Mr. Hands establishment, whooping everybody's ass, and then pulling out the nunchucks. There is nothing like that. On nothing better than that on a movie screen. I, that's I get real passionate about that. Let me let me step off my pedestal. Sorry. Well, it's a good point. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything like that in a, on a you know regular movie screen in a long time. I know I haven't. They're not available anything like that around me. Mm-mm. Yeah, same here. And I mean, yeah, we had Ninja Assassin come out, and you know, we, and we've had some stuff from from Jackie Chan. We've had some stuff from Jet Li. You know, we've had some films like Iron Iron, Iron Monkey, which made it into the movie theater. But still, it's for all those bad martial arts films that have made it over to the States, not saying Iron Monkey was bad because that, that movie's awesome, but for all the bad ones, I just really wish that people would have had the chance to see a lot of these old school martial arts films to see what really inspired some of the stuff that comes out today. You know, most of the martial arts movies I've seen in movie theaters were just the big release stuff. I remember I, I intentionally did not go see Black Mask even though it was in the movie theater because um, from the trailer it felt like that it, it didn't it didn't match what I'd seen because I had seen a, a bootleg of the original mm. um, which was a dub. No, it wasn't a dub. It was a subtitle. And um, yeah, I I would you know love to see um, some of these films um, you know in, in a movie theater. It, it would be a cool thing. I, it, it sometimes it, it feels like that the the day of the martial arts film is 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 uh, as far as movie theaters as go is, is is done here in the states. But you never know; it could come back, and uh, I would like to see it come back personally. Is it just me or, or like I like the Matrix movie, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other two have have interesting parts to them, um, for my taste. But um, is is it me or have movies as far? Because that seems to have been like the death nail, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it seems like after the Matrix movies hit, it was sort of like, oh, well, we can get real actors to do this. And a lot of the martial arts proficiency disappeared, and uh, it just seems like that you know because 
it was weird because I think that movie really benefited, <laughs> you know, from the martial arts enthusiasm for for seeing those types of films, you know. But in some ways, it feels like it was kind of the, in a weird way, the the death nail um, for for that genre as far as uh, theaters goes. Well, it's funny, you know, I'm hearing Sean say that how great this stuff would be on the big screen, which is totally correct. And it's funny, what's happening now is that stuff, without the CGI blood, you know, more of the the dirty, get you know, get your hands dirty martial arts movies are coming out direct to DVD now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like the studios are putting the Matrix type and the wire fighting, the slow-mo stuff. That's hitting the market for the big screen. And the real fighting, you know, real in quotes, of course, and the, the more brutal, um, you know, your Ong Bak, Ong Bak 2, and uh, I'm going to talk about some more of these direct-to-DVD movies later, so I'm not going to spoil it. But it seems like these are going direct-to-video. So you're losing that whole big screen effect. And it's a shame because some of it's really good stuff, and it has the direct-to-DVD stigma. You know, that oh, if it went right to DVD, it can't be any good, or they would have put it in the theater, which isn't really the case. They just won't put those types of movies in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of it's because studios are scared to, like, take a risk on, you know, putting, like, you know, taking a film that they ported over that is direct to DVD and, and putting it in, 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 a, in a movie theater. Because to them, it's like, okay, we're just going to waste space for a couple weeks. I'm like, well, you don't know unless you put it out there. It's one thing to port over a movie that probably cost about, I don't know, because like a lot of those down and dirty martial arts films, they're pretty inexpensive. You know, they're low budget, but it's, it's a good looking film. But, you know, they had to work and scrap uh, for every last piece of uh, cinematic quality. So if you're going to port over a film that probably costs, I don't know, between like nine to 15 million in uh, U.S. dollars, you know, what's the risk of putting it in a movie theater for two or three weeks? You know, right. throw, throw some money in for advertising. Who knows? You could probably triple your value. It kind of it kind of gets me sometimes. Like I said, I'm I'm not. You know, I love talking about films. I love talking about the movie business. And like I said, I don't know everything. It just it kind of gets me sometimes how studios are willing to take a chance on some stuff for a while, and then it just disappears. Because like I said before, with Sony Pictures Classics, period of time, dude, they were putting out stuff left and right, whether it be in a movie theater or on the video market. I mean, they were pushing it. And the stuff was pretty successful. And then, oh, we don't want to do it anymore. Boom. Gone. And normally, like, the rule, like the rule of um, Hollywood is, is, is that if it works for one studio, we got to do it, too. So I thought I would start to see more studios port, st- port stuff over. If it wasn't for Quentin Tarantino, you wouldn't have seen Iron Monkey in the movie theater. Because he was really behind getting that movie over to the United States. And like I said before, the Sony Pictures Classics uh, deal... And one of the two studios did some stuff, but you know they didn't really emphasize it too much. Yeah, man, I, I kind of miss that. But you, you are right, though, John. The, um, the gritty martial arts films that you know our generation was used to seeing, that stuff, a lot of that is direct-to-video. And there are a lot of, I think, up-and-coming martial arts stars that by the time they get their due or they get that movie on the big screen, they're going to be a hell of a lot older. You know, and so that effect won't be the same. You know, it's, it's like you just want that, you know, you want that, you know, that guy to get his due on the movie screen, you know, right when he right when he's in his prime, he or she are in their prime and not when they're past their prime.
um, let's go ahead and we're going to kick it back to Dave and uh, we'll talk about um, the next film on, on his slate. Okay. Um, the, uh, the next film I'm going to mention is definitely more a martial arts movie than a, uh, a kung fu movie. Um, it's the movie uh, The Sword of Doom. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a Japanese film um, and it's about samurai that's set during that feudalistic period in Japan. And the, the basic gist of the, the story is this uh, samurai uh, warrior basically kills, I can't remember exactly, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but uh, kills um, a, a person um, in a very dishonorable fashion and basically uh, is cursed from that point on because he struck the person down in a, uh, an inappropriate way. I remember correctly, they were mourning outside of a, like a, uh, a grave site. He ended up killing a child and a, an old man. From that point on, his sword is cursed, and then he is cursed. And the gist of the film is you basically follow his adventures as basically a master of samurai. He basically goes on to pretty much destroy his life. He kills his master. Um, he kills his master's favorite student in a duel. Um, he ends up uh, running around with a, a mercenary group trying to uh, assassinate a, uh, a Japanese lord. By the end of the film, uh, he also like horribly rapes this woman. It's pretty awful. And then by the end of the film, he ends up fighting himself to the death. Um, he has this bizarre hallucinatory experience, and it basically ends up essentially killing himself, but he's, he's fighting himself at the same time. It's, if you've never seen it, it's... it's uh, and you're into kind of the samurai movies. It's it's a it's an interesting film, and it's the one I recommend to people because most people haven't seen it. I'm looking on um, I'm looking on the internet right now, trying to get additional information on it. And it says um, it says that the film's abrupt ending leaves many plot elements unresolved. Uh, the film originally intended to be a trilogy of films based on the historical novel of the same name by Kaizen uh, Nakazato. That 41-volume novel encompassed 1,533 chapters and over 5.7 million Japanese characters, considered the largest novel in Japan until the publication of Sahachi uh, Yamoka's 40-volume serialized novel, uh, Tokugawa Ayasu. The filmmakers wanted to, to complete the story in later sequels, but these were never made. Wow. Oh, that's that, interesting. Is that... I, I didn't know any of that about the film at all. Uh, again, it was one of those films. Uh, most of my martial arts training has been of a, a Japanese event. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen um, a, a lot of the, uh, the samurai movies um, because it's so closely um, associated to the stuff that I studied, like uh, Kenjutsu, Aikijutsu, Aikido. And uh, so anyhow, it, this was one of those films. So I was like, oh, you got to see this movie. It's really cool. But the way we watched the film was really strange. Um, <laughs> uh, there's this really crazy kind of artsy film called Pie that was made many years ago. That's and, the uh, uh, that's the Darren and I can never say is it Aronofsky. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah, it, it's an interesting film, and and uh, I'm like big into movie soundtracks, so I had the movie soundtrack of Pi, I was in the studio working and, and my roommate at the time, who was also uh, a guy I was studying martial arts with, was in the other room and he had uh, basically muted the sound for some reason on Sort of Doom, so the soundtrack from Pi was playing at the same time. And he come running in the studio and he's like, dude, you gotta come out here. And I'm like, what? And he's like, come out here. And he turns the stereo up really loud and we went in there 
and we ended up watching a portion of the film to the Pi soundtrack. And it was really bizarre because it was almost like they went together. So then we ended up stopping the soundtrack and we got a, a portable CD player and, and put it in the front room and, and watched the movie to the soundtrack for Pi because it's, it's a subtitled film. And so we basically almost watched it as if you would watch a silent movie hmm. um, with the soundtrack for Pi, which is this crazy, you know, slightly schizophrenic, psychotic, techno-sounding thing, which totally fits the movie. Um, which is why I, I've always been in the opinion that the guy's just a complete psychopath after he kills these people. And usually when I used to watch the film, that's the way I would watch it, which is really strange. A weird martial arts viewing experience, but it's, uh, even as it's sown, when you actually listen to the actual sound of the film, it's still a, a good movie, and it's, it's one that a lot of people haven't seen. So. Now, as far as like the, the, the uh, cinematography of the Sword of Doom, um, like during like any type of sword fights or anything, uh, like the one thing I've always noticed with like a lot of, um, you know, martial arts films or, um, or, or, or you know, just action films in general, when you you always know when they're trying to respect the culture and when they film the techniques and stuff like that, they give that a lot of respect. So you actually get to when you see the battle, you actually you know see and feel the techniques that they're trying to use. Um, were you able to get a nice feel of the different type of sword fighting styles? How, how was that? Was that filmed very well? Yeah, I mean, from a technical aspect, as far as the, uh, the sword play in the film, it's, it's very well done. The, there's, there's quite a few sword fights in it, but, you know, depending upon the type of samurai movie that you watch, I mean, um, some films err more on the side of uh, Yaido, which is uh, one cut to death. Um, so it's just a you know the blade flashes and the person is dead. So mm-hmm. um, there you know it'd be like a huge buildup. I always think of Seven Samurai. There's that one scene where the two guys are going to square off, and it seems like it takes forever, and they run together and they clash, and the one dude is dead with one blow, which is a typical you know sign of a, a Yaido master. From what I remember of the film, and it's been a few years since I've seen it, um, as far as the swordplay goes, the swordplay is, is really well done, and uh, the, if I remember correctly, the sword style of the, the main hero, as he descends essentially into madness, um, his style does get kind of sloppy and, and whatever, um, and it just kind of reflects how he kind of is uh, breaking down. Um, because if you think about it, if you're in a room by yourself and you're fighting your shadow and you end up killing yourself, your sword work's got to be pretty sloppy at that point. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> But it's uh, it's an interesting film. It's uh, it's just, like I said, it's just one of those you know samurai movie type things, like in the Yojimbo or the uh, um, you know Lone Wolf and Cub, you know that kind of genre, I guess you would say, of a samurai swordplay. Um, but it's just a film a lot of people haven't seen. So if you're into that kind of stuff, it's an interesting movie to check out. Uh, Dave mentioned Lone Wolf and Cub. I'm going to go with Shogun Assassin, um, which is another samurai film. It it came out in 1980. It is actually the first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies edited into one film. Hmm. Um, You cannot... I I did a little bit of research. It's kind of... 
convoluted to figure out what's going on with this stuff, but um, it seems that those first two Lone Wolf and Cub movies are not available, like, anywhere. And as Shogun Assassin, you can get them in one movie edited together. And as you were saying before, Sean, about how you wish people could see the... Uh, the, the original, the, the origination of where these movies come out that they enjoy now. This movie, Shogun Assassin, is totally like the inspiration for Kill Bill and all of this blood spurt stuff that's coming out now, like Tokyo Gore Police and all of these strange movies coming out of like Japan and the Far East. You know, the decapitations, the limbs getting chopped off with the blood, fountains and, and ridiculous amounts of gore and blood. Um, you know, it all points to Shogun Assassin for me. And it's just, a, it's a really good story. It's got some crazy bad effects, which make it kind of cool. And uh, I just really enjoy it. And it's actually on Blu-ray by a company called Animigo. Um, you can get, you know, on their website, um, I believe it's Animigo.com. And it's like twelve ninety nine or something. So for a classic you know, lesson in in some of these things we're talking about. Definitely check out Shogun Assassin. Now this now this is via Wikipedia, mind you. So take take this with a grain of salt. Um, it says uh, the project was directed by Robert Houston and his part and his partner David Wiseman, a protege of Andy Warhol and director of Chow Manhattan uh, from 1972. A fan of the original, and I hope I do not butcher this name, uh, Kozure Okami films. Wiseman had obtained the rights for $50,000 from the American office of Toho Studios. Boy, that was cheap. Then it says, The film was distributed by Roger Corman's New World Pictures to the Grindhouse movie circuit in the United States, and then later as a, as a video cassette from MCA Universal Home Video. When released in uh, the United Kingdom by the Vipco videotape label in 1983, Shogun Assassin's extreme violence caused it to be banned by the home office. Vipco played this for publicity in the cover art of their 2001 release on DVD, which was stamped banned since 1983. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's some stuff it says here. It says, um, as far as the editing tip goes, uh, Shogun Assassin was dubbed into English, whereas the originals are in Japanese. The film being compiled from separate stories uses a much simplified version of the, of the situation. For instance, any, men any mention of clan war is gone, and the opponent, Rezuto, uh, Rezuto, is simply called the Shogun. The filmmakers hired deaf lip readers to help compose dialogue to match the lip movements of the original Japanese actors and filled in the narrative gaps by adding voiceover narration by Daigoro. Uh, performed by the seven-year-old son, uh, Gibran Evans, of Shogun Assassin's poster, poster il illustrator Jim Evans. American actress Sandra Bernhard, Sandra Bernhard, that's a wow. name I've heard in a long time, and director and former radio actor Lamont Johnson provided voices in the, provided voices in the dubbed edition. And once again, this is from Wikipedia, so take it all with a grain of salt, but if that's true, that's crazy. And this, I'm, I'm on the website right now. It's uh, Animigo is A-N-I-M-E-I-G-O, Animigo.com. Uh, they were actually nice enough to give us this in a review copy, and uh, they actually put our review up on their website and stuff, which is cool. But it's a really nice package. Um, of course, it's 1080p. You get an interview with Samuel L. Jackson, you know, explaining how influential this movie was in pop culture and things like that. 
Uh, you get audio commentaries and uh, new commentaries with producer David Weissman. So you're going to get a lot of this story that Sean is talking about right now. Um, and again, it's $12.99 on their website. I mean, you can't get a $12.99 Blu-ray if it's not some ridiculous, uh, scary movie three for $9.99. You know, you're not you're not getting it. So uh, this is a deal and something I would definitely recommend. Yeah, that's a pretty good price, especially for a film of this quality, because this is not a film that you're going to see every day. Right. Um, you know, it's not like going to Kroger. Well, if 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 you have a Kroger grocery store in your neighborhood and getting a copy of Command on Blu-ray for nine ninety nine. Okay, two completely different things, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, right. yeah, this is a classic. I haven't seen it, but anything that's going to deal with Lone Wolf and Cub, um, it gets the thumbs up in my book. So, uh, yeah, yeah. My dad, as as when I was a kid, my uh, my dad gave me some of those books to read, you know, and I just I just ate them up. So, I need to watch this now. From from my hip hop heads and Wu Tang Clan fans, several audio clips from Shogun Assassin are used on rapper the Jizza. The GZA, uh, Jizza's classic album Liqu- Liquid Swords, which is produced by the RZA. Um, in addition, the film is invoked in Kill Bill Volume Two, for which RZA, the RZA, provided original music in the end scenes where the protagonist and her daughter watch it as a bedtime story. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. This film, what came out in the United States, I want to say like in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was direct-to-video. It was originally released in Hong Kong first in 1995. In the United States, it was called Meltdown. But in, uh, in Hong Kong in 1995, it was called High Risk. And it was uh, directed by Wong Jing and stars uh, Jet Li and a gentleman by the name of Jackie Chung. Or Jackie Chung. Not Jackie Chan, but Jackie Chung. And the film is a parody of... Uh, it kind of it serves as a parody on, like, Die Hard and Speed. I, I can't really call it a parody because, like, some... The villain is a, really a cruel bastard. So to call it a parody is kind of... Uh, I, I don't really like that. But it uses... It plays on films like such as Die Hard and Speed. And when you watch it, you'll see, you'll see why. What's really most known about this film is that it got a lot of controversy in Hong Kong because the film spoofed Jackie Chan in a, in, a really, in a really bad light. But that wasn't Jet Li doing that. It was Jackie Chung playing a character by the name of Frankie Lone. <laughs> um, what happens is, the synopsis of the story is this. Jet Li plays a gentleman by, by the name of Kit. He's a police officer. Uh, he leaves his job after his family uh, gets killed by a terrorist known as the Doctor. So downtrodden by this, Kit becomes a bodyguard for a movie star, Frankie Lone, who is reported to perform his own stunts. But this report is untrue, and Frankie's actually a drunken womanizer incapable of performing the stunts, and Kit performs them for him. Uh, Frankie attends a gala event in a high-rise hotel where the terrorist, the doctor, shows up and takes everyone hostage. Kit has an opportunity, opportunity to face his family's killer uh, and save Frankie and the rest of the hostages. And what's, what's jacked up is, is that there's a couple of scenes where Frankie Lone is in the uh, Game of Death tracksuit. And, nice. and he's got the nunchucks. And the dude can't scrap. But there was, the controversy really came where, uh, because of the cinematic swipes at Jackie Chan um, with whom 
director Wang Jing had worked with Jackie Chan on a film called the live action version of City Hunter, which I think was a video game, if, or video game or anime, if a memory serves me right. But after the movie came out over in Hong Kong, uh, Chan not only uh, disowned the film, but attacked Wong personally in the press. Uh, through the character of Frankie Lone, Wong struck back by insinuating that Chan was actually a boozing womanizer and a fraud who didn't really do his own, who really didn't do his own stunts after all. There are some fight scenes in this film that I think are fantastic. Um, I'm really surprised nobody's bit off of this film uh, since its release. Like it does play on Die Hard, it does play on Speed a little bit, but there's a scene where it consists of an elevator and essentially what is a Mini Cooper. I can't explain it. You need to watch it for yourself. Jet Li is extremely kick-ass in this film. This actually is my favorite Jet Li movie of all time. Uh, wow. I love Fist of Legend. Don't get me wrong. But I love, love, love High Risk. If I could find a legitimate DVD version of this, not Meltdown. I don't want the cut-up version. If I could find a legitimate DVD or Blu-ray of this, I would buy this tomorrow. That's how much I love this film. To me, it's like it's an 80s action film with uh, better action sequences. Awesome. Never uh, heard of it. Oh, for real? Uh, have, you, have you ever heard of it, Dave? Uh, I remember looking at I, I pulled it up on IMDb and was reading about it while you were talking. I remember seeing it at the video store, but I've never seen it. So, um, and, it, and by video store, I'm talking about years and years and years ago because mm-hmm. this cover with Jet Li Meltdown looks really familiar. But uh, no, I've, I've never seen it. Most of the Jet Li stuff I've seen has been, uh, like I said, uh, I think most of the stuff that everybody used to patch on the dojo was like the Once Upon a Time in China series, mm-hmm. which are really good. But no, I've never seen this one. song I'm talking about was was actually mentioned on the the last Kung Fu Explosion, but uh, it's one of my favorites, and it's uh, uh, Street Fighter with uh, Sonny Chiba. And uh, this, uh, the way I saw this movie was rather bizarre because uh, it was one of those films that was being passed around in the dojo when I was training, um, but I, I never saw it for some reason. Uh, but I did see like bits and pieces of it here and there. There were things that Sonny Chiba would do, uh, the way that he would key up and stuff, and he would strike and stuff, and people would talk about it in the, in the dojo. Um, and uh, they oh, yeah, this movie's great. You should see it. And I, I just never watched it. And uh, I guess it was, uh, I don't know, it was it was about the time that we, my wife and I moved to Arizona. I was working a job. I got really sick. I left work early, and I went to Walgreens because I'd gone to the, uh, urgent care to, have me checked out. They gave me a prescription. I went to Walgreens, and they have you know those cheap DVDs, you know, like mm-hmm. in a big rack. And I just saw Street Fighter right there, and they had uh, Street Fighter, Sister Street Fighter, like <laughs> the whole series, Return of Street Fighter. There was like a whole bunch of them right there together, and they were dirt cheap. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna pick these up because I've heard about them, and if nothing else, they'll be good for you know some entertainment, you know, maybe a couple laughs, whatever. I went ahead and bought all of them and went home and was completely sick. I took this medication, sat down on the couch, and was just completely blown away with uh, Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, 
the martial arts techniques and stuff it is unbelievable but the film the thing i like about the film too is the kind of bizarre aspects of it like at one point it's like a martial arts documentary for this particular style of karate when he goes to the school and he kind of stands in the background and there's like these weird labels that show up on the bottom of the screen and it's like they're doing a demonstration you know and uh then there's the uh the the rather uh bizarre nature of 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 the story and stuff uh and uh, of course, the the really awesome special effects when the guy gets thrown over the uh, <laughs> gets thrown over the railing and his head bursts open and it's absolutely crazy. All this you know fake blood everywhere. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just one of those movies that uh, I was just pleasantly surprised with and I really enjoyed. I ended up watching the whole series and then I got on a Sonny Chiba kick and um, ended up watching a bunch of his films and. Uh, it's weird because a lot of these films I kind of evaluate kind of more from a martial arts standpoint, sometimes in a story standpoint, um, because I really do watch them more for the action. Um, and uh, it, again, it's been a few years since I've seen this one too. I wanted to watch all these movies again if I could before we did the podcast, but it's been so busy, I, I just haven't had the chance. But um, this is another film I'd recommend. Uh, the martial arts in it is, is fantastic. Sonny Chiba is a very interesting, charismatic uh, individual. Um, I think you'll be impressed and, and find yourself kind of chuckling and stuff at the same time. It's uh, it's just a it's just a fun movie in my opinion. Uh, John, did you want to did you want to chime in on this one? No, it, it's one that I haven't seen, so I'm taking notes. And uh, I've really I think I mentioned this on the first show. My my kung fu experiences are very recent. As much as <laughs> as much as I love it, and I try to look, you know, find great old stuff as well. I've certainly missed a lot of uh, things that came out in the '80s, '90s, and and uh, and that area. So I'm I'm taking notes now. I know about the Street Fighter because of my uh, good friend Charles, uh, Charles Mosby. Um, he. Because like we were big, you know, big martial arts movies fans, and we talked about all types of movies and stuff. And he asked me if I had ever seen the Street Fighter, and I said, "I know, I hadn't heard of." He's like, "You don't know about Sonny Chiba?" I was like, "No." And he just looked at me like I was crazy because I did not know who Sonny Chiba was because I yeah, I knew Bruce Lee and like all these other other legends of uh, martial arts, but I never heard of Sonny Chiba. He's like, "Okay, we have to go watch the Street Fighter right now." So it was during this period of time that before the big DVD, uh, DVD craze, New Line Cinema had released the Street Fighter on VHS. And so it was an actual clean print, um, as clean as it could get for VHS. It was a clean print. And he picked up a copy. He's like, we we're going to watch this. I just remember watching it. And at first, I didn't know how to take it because I'm coming from the school of watching Bruce Lee films and Kung Fu Theater, Kung Fu Theater on USA. This was a little bit different. And like and Dave, like you pointed out with like the whole part in the film where it's basically like, you know, like a instruction lesson on like certain martial arts styles. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, okay, what did I just step in? I I don't really understand this part. But there were some things that like really got me because, you know, we all know Bruce Lee, you know, like make the noises and have like the, you know, the cocky movements and expressions. Well, Sonny Chiba's expressions were like taken to like new levels. You know, I mean, like sometimes I thought this dude was like having an aneurysm, and but it, but it was cool though, and like he had um, he had like such swagger too, and that was I think that was the thing that like really got me hooked on watching this movie is that Sonny Chiba as a street fighter, 
super swagger. I mean, the swagger is like beyond, you know, beyond 100 without a shadow of a doubt. And and not only that, unlike a lot of the martial arts martial arts movies I had seen in the past, you know, where the heroes pretty much fight clean. Sonny Chiba did not fight clean. <laughs> and he's and the thing about the Street Fighter 2 is that he's you know, you're kind of more following his kind of story or adventure. I don't know if I totally classify him as a hero. Right. I mean, he does a lot of despicable things. He's uh, he's not exactly a clean cut good guy. He's more of a, he's much more a mercenary in in the way that he is, and and you see that in the way that he fights. It's it's portrayed in the style that he uses, and uh, he's uh, he's very cocky, very sure of himself, and sometimes it gets him into trouble, and sometimes he prevails, and um, it's uh, it's I guess the thing is is. Like I said, you know, guys used to talk about it in dojo and the film would get passed around, and they used to really kind of talk about how he would key up because when he's doing all those strange, it sounds like he's clearing his throat. He's basically channeling his inner power, you know. Mm-hmm. But for people who are uninitiated to it, it seems pretty strange, you know. Yeah. And even studying martial arts, it came off as a little odd um, at first when you first see it. But that was kind of the stuff that I enjoyed about it. It's not your typical martial arts film. And um, in my opinion, it's of, of the Japanese films, it's, I think, the closest one that tries to really be a, a kind of a Bruce Lee kung fu movie, but in a very bizarre way. Oh, yeah. But there were some like funny scenes where they, they did some different things where Sonny Chiba like, punches down on this guy's head, and it cuts to like this negative and you just see a skull like crunching down and like you see like the spine breaking you see the spinal column breaking I, you know that that's like complete video game stuff nowadays uh you know and that was like ahead of its time and like but for the for like the uh late 70s or the 70s i guess when this movie came out that was like high concept and just like ooh, this dude is hardcore but um they did all types of all types of different stuff in this film and I think this is why it's one of those martial arts movies that kind of transcend the transcend from the standard martial arts films of that era. One issue I've always had with this movie is is that, and I think a lot of it may be because for the longest time it's been public domain, you can't find a nice quality transfer of the Street Fighter series on, on DVD. Because they're pretty much just all, hey, this is the dirty reel we had, put it on DVD, you know, we sell it for three bucks. We're rich, and um, and we'll call it a day. I don't know if if a nice, clean version exists. If it does, you gotta, f- you know, listeners, you gotta find it because the Street Fighter is <laughs> is a fantastic martial arts film. And please don't get it twisted with the Van Damme Street Fighter video game adaptation. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not that at all. No, it's, no, no. Uh, it's uh, you know, and you know, the version that I saw you know, was kind of a, a bad transfer, you know, on a, on a cheap DVD. Um, but uh, I just remember from the first, you know, I sit on the couch watching it from, from the moment that it that it started up, um, where he, uh, he ends up, what is he, I can't remember if he's impersonating a monk or the guy he's talking to is a monk or something, and they fight in prison and he tells the guy, I was like, wow, this is an odd movie. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as it continues to go through, it's like his martial arts prowess is, is absolutely fantastic, and it's it's unique too because it's it's uh, 
kind of a, a style and a side of karate that, that most Americans, uh, uh, you know, never never really see. You know, it, it a lot of ways it's a relic. It's a it's a a piece of of its period. I think the only thing that and this will be kind of weird and a bit of a tangent, and I apologize for bringing this up, but uh, have either of you guys seen the documentary film Black, uh, Fighting Black Kings? No, I haven't. No. Uh, have you? Oh, you have you, John? No. Okay. Okay. If, if you ever get, since you love martial arts and you like martial arts movies, if you ever see or get a chance to watch Fighting Black Kings, you totally have to check it out. It is a... Uh, um, it's a documentary of the first all-world uh, karate championships that took place in uh, the 19... Uh, I think it's the early... Ni- yeah, I think it's 1970s. And uh, it's it's this very <laughs> unusual documentary. And it's just these karate guys. They're just totally hardcore. And, and uh, it's just absolutely unbelievable. But it, it, it's a, associated with Masayama's uh, group at the time. And... Uh, but it, when I watch Street Fighter, it reminds me of that documentary, mm. um, and uh, just as how it's kind of offbeat and hardcore and, and and kind of strange. But at the same point, if you like martial arts, it's it's terribly interesting. So. The world we know is gone. No Google. No Amazon.com. No email. No podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Hey everybody, this is Brad. The Half Hour Wasted and Legion of Dudes family is proud to bring you a new show, The Walking Dead TV Podcast. Each week, we will talk in-depth about the latest episode of AMC's new series, The Walking Dead. The new TV show starts this Halloween, and we could not be more excited about it. You can catch our new podcast on iTunes or at www.walkingdeadtv.com. Leave a light on, tune in, and try not to get bit. here one thing that I, I, I wanted to bring up from the last Kung Fu Explosion show that we did one movie that I recommended that I got a lot of feedback on was a movie called Chocolate yes um, and it starred a young lady by the name of Jija Yenin it was kind of like her first big martial arts uh, movie overseas and it ended up getting released here in the United States, and, and it was very, the fighting was unbelievable. I, I thought she was fantastic, and I recommended it. I got a lot of feedback. Uh, Harold Jeanette, one guy specifically, I remember saying he watched it because of the recommendation. So I wanted to follow up uh, and tell everybody about a movie called Raging Phoenix, which is the next G. Yanin movie. Synasia is the company that has put out this Blu-ray. This falls into the category of one of those movies that we were talking about earlier where you probably will have no clue exactly what's going on, but the fights are unbelievable. And this girl can 
she can get after it unbelievably. And I just want to read the summary on the back of the Blu-ray just to give you an idea of what you're dealing with here. Okay. Um, she plays a character named New, and uh, kind of goes through that her life changes when she partners with a group of mysterious strangers who train her. Now get ready who train her in a devastating new form of combat that combines Muay Thai, drunken boxing, and explosive techniques derived from hip-hop dance moves. <laughs> so, again, I, I really didn't understand what was going on in this movie, but it's worth seeking out to watch this girl fight. She's a little thing... You know, we talk about somebody being 5'8". You know, I can't even imagine the size and weight of this young lady. But she gets after it. And this isn't choreographed dance fights, uh, even though they mentioned hip-hop dancing, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. It's more on the ang-bak side of things. Like, she's throwing knees and elbows and forearms and... You know, kind of like flying headlocks and bringing guys down with flips and stuff. Very, very interesting just to watch her go up against like your stereotypical, you know, bad martial arts big dudes, you know. Huh. Uh, very, very interesting. Gigi Yannon is her name. Raging Phoenix is the latest movie. I don't know if you're going to – I think it's coming out in the U.S. I think Magnolia is putting it out soon. So you might be able to grab it on Netflix in the near future. Um, right now, you probably wouldn't be able to get it here, but definitely worth checking out when you see it. Okay, before we close out this episode, there's one last movie that um, I, I want to talk to everybody about. This is a Chuck Norris film, and actually, it's one of Chuck Norris's early uh, martial arts films. This film was actually made for Hong Kong. It was a Hong Kong picture that was uh, distributed by the World Northall Co Corporation slash Golden Harvest in, in Hong Kong in August of 1974. Then once Chuck Norris became popular, it got released in the United States in September 16th, one day before my birthday, in 1981. It's called, it was, uh, in the United States, it was called Slaughter in San Francisco, or Yellow-Faced Tiger in Hong Kong. Um, and it's also been known as Chuck Norris versus the Karate Cop, or Karate Cop. It's Norris's first starring role in a low-budget Hong Kong picture. The plot, the whole, the whole summary of the story is, is that um, Chuck Norris plays the big bad. He's the biggest drug king in San Francisco who owns everyone, including uh, the, the police department. He finds his match when a young police officer stands up to, uh, to Chuck Norris's drug lord power and must fight him and the entire system. And um, a former cop in the San Francisco Bay Area goes after the goons who murdered his ex-partner and Chuck Norris's people murdered um, this, uh, cop's ex ex-partner. And that cop is Officer Don Wong, uh, played by actor Don Wong. Now, <laughs> what's interesting about this film now, I'll be the first to admit, this film is not that good. It's not. It's, uh, it's one of Chuck Norris's, uh, like I said, it's one of his early, early films. And the only reason it came out in the United States or even saw release you know, in, a, in a video store, more in a movie theater for a short period of time, is because Chuck Norris was ultra popular. 
in the early 80s. So they brought it out. What's interesting about this film is, is that this film would have actually been, because it was directed by uh, Low Way, this film was actually supposed to star Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, um, with Chuck Norris playing the big bad and uh, Bruce Lee playing the, uh, the, uh, taking the officer role. Bruce Lee did not like uh, the director of uh, this film, and he decided to, to direct, the, you know, direct, you know, he filmed it himself, uh, way of, Bruce Lee did Way of the Dragon. And in The Way of the Dragon, he fought Chuck Norris. And then Don Wong Tao took the part initially intended for Bruce Lee. The uh, last uh, part, of the, part of the film is a final fight between uh, Officer Don Wong and uh, Mr. Slaughter, uh, Chuck Norris, who plays Chuck Slaughter. And it's a final fight. And what cracks me up about this is because, once again, early Chuck Norris film, the fight is so patterned. Anybody who's like, you know, either a martial arts expert or somebody that's watched a ton of martial arts movies, it's like... When you watch a professional, when you watch a professional wrestling match, how it's all timed and like you know, and like the wrestlers give themselves cues to make sure nobody gets hurt, so they you know, and they do all this practice, practicing you know before you know before the match, and you can kind of sometimes see that timing played out. This fight is just like that. It's literally a pattern, step by step fight, and it's very very stiff, and it's you know missing so much because what happens is, Officer Wong goes to fight Chuck Slaughter. And in typical Chuck Norris fashion, in any film uh, that Chuck Norris was in way, way, way back in the day, he take off his shirt, and you see that, that, that hairy chest <laughs> for the entire world to see. And he had the big 70s porn mustache. He's ready to fight Officer Don Wong. And Don Wong's, like, whooping his butt for a minute. And then Chuck gets mad. And then all of his, like, uh, lackeys go in to try to beat up Officer Wong. And Wong's beating up everybody. And he's, like, he's about to body slam somebody. And Chuck says, enough. And then all the ba- all the all the flunkies go away, and, and and Don takes on Chuck for the final battle. This movie is ridiculous, not along the lines of Black Belt Jones ridiculous, because that is is a wonderful ridiculousness all to itself. If you can find a copy of it, because I doubt this film is available on DVD, uh, you may have to really search high and low. This may be one of those just bootleg specials nowadays. Check it out. I think I like this film a lot. For the simple fact that it's funny watching Chuck Norris as a drug lord who's dressing up in pimp outfits, <laughs> um, I think that I think that's why I, I you know I enjoy it so much. But the fights are very stiff, um, you know, you know nothing too exciting. But it's just one of those movies from my childhood that, even though I know it's not that great, it still plays great in my in you know in my mind. And even when I watch it, it still plays great. Another film that that takes place in San Francisco, The Chinatown Kid would probably be a much better film to watch. And I think that's actually out on DVD. Uh, nice, clean, cop- pristine copies available on DVD. Um, so for those that don't want to fool with Slaughter in San Francisco, go check out the China, Chinatown Kid. Kid, Sorry. Go check out the Chinatown Kid instead. But um, if you can find a copy of uh, Slaughter in San Francisco, I think you'll get a good laugh out of it. So Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, I had, I, yeah, I had to pull that one out of the hat. Yeah, I've seen yeah I'd say that you did. <laughs> I've seen a uh, a lot of old Chuck Norris movies because Lynn was uh, a big Chuck Norris aficionado, so I've seen a lot of his older films, uh, but I've never heard of or seen that one. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, the only other thing I was going to say is it's kind of funny because it makes me think of you know a lot of the martial arts stars who are kind of you know household names um, here in the states. 
it's kind of funny because you know Chuck Norris is one of those very recognizable names, and you know here it is. It looks like his you know some of his earlier roles. He's playing the villain, you know, and most mm-hmm. people think of him as the hero, you know. And uh, it reminds me of uh, Jean Claude Van Damme because uh, you know in one of his earliest movies, No Retreat, No Surrender, he was the villain. <laughs> it's kind of funny how they kind of start off as kind of like the villain, you know, and some of the more you know name recognizable you know martial arts stars in the states so oh yeah there's nothing funnier and we actually talked about that on on our 80s favorite 80s action movies uh, part one matt burden brought up uh, <laughs> brought up uh, no, no retreat no surrender where van damme play from brussels plays a russian <laughs> with a very bad accent i i will say that as far as um way of the dragon um, which I, I should have really put on my list. Um, that final fight between Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, that fight is fantastic. That fight is just fantastic. If you can find a copy of uh, The Way of the Dragon, I think it may be called something else. Um, it may be called something else in the United, for the United States. Ah, in the United States, it was called Return of the Dragon in the United States. So if you can find a copy of Return of the Dragon, which is probably part of that Bruce Lee box set, Watch yeah, it. it is. Watch it for that final fight between Bruce and Chuck. That is off the chain. One of my favorite fights of all time. Definitely uh, take a look at that. It's time to, to close out the show. Gentlemen, I had a wonderful time uh, talking about uh, some more of our favorite martial arts movies. And please believe there will be a part three. And um, I would like to keep doing this as long as we've got movies to talk about. And I'm sure we've got plenty. But, um, but no, um, John, where can, uh, where can the people find uh, the Legion of Dudes podcast and their entire network of podcasts that they're a part of? HHWLOD.com is basically the portal for everything. You get Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, Speak of the Devil, and uh, even the Walking Dead TV show can be found there. The Walking Dead TV podcast, I should say, will be found there. We can't post a TV show there. We'd get sued. But uh, <laughs> but everything's there. And, and I thank you for, uh, for having me on. It was great talking to you guys. And this is a topic that I can do forever so part three part four part five let's do it and dave where can people uh you know find uh, you find your artwork and uh find you on the internet well there's uh davebeatty.com um but then uh, i think the one that most people know me for is bushytells.com and uh i had a great time it was it, you know i enjoyed the first one it was uh it was great getting to be on the show and yeah if you guys do it again i'd love to be a part i'll i'll make a a better effort to do a better job of, of trying to bring some summary information on the movies <laughs> I recommend too. Oh no, Dave! Instead of just a purely like movement aesthetic, you know. No, uh, Dave, you did absolutely fine, man. Like I say, you, you you know we all talk about movies differently, and I you know and that's what makes stuff like this great. Thank you, gentlemen, for being a part of the show. Thank you. Thanks. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 on the Rock Solid Steel Bots, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. 
And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.